Crooked Media's Hysteria is a weekly podcast hosted by political commentator and comedy writer Aaron Ryan, who is joined by former White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations Alyssa Mastromonaco and a bi-coastal squad of opinionated Amalde women to discuss news, politics, and stories and culture that affect women's lives, from the serious to the absurd. Episodes range from news to culture to conversations with female comedians, documentarians, and political experts. Listen to Hysteria Weekly on Thursdays. Women, 51% of the population and 100% of the Hysteria podcast. Welcome back, Brown Girls. We're glad to have you joining us again. Last episode, I spoke with Amy Allison, president of Democracy in Color and founder of She the People. And we talked about the upcoming She the People Presidential Forum happening on April 24th, live from Houston, Texas. This episode, we talked to a trailblazer in Congress, Congresswoman Deb Holland. I got to know Deb through my work at Emerge America. When I first started, I was going through our list of alums and I got to New Mexico. And I saw that the chair of the New Mexico Democratic Party was an Emerge woman. When people think of elected positions, they really don't think about state party positions. But the fact is, you are elected to them. You have to campaign. You have to garner votes. You have to talk about what you want to do. It is an amazing stepping stone for women who want to do more politically in the future. Deb started off as the chair of the New Mexico Democratic Party, and now she sits in Congress as one of the first Indigenous women elected in 2018. When we sat down to talk to Deb, she was surrounded by the young women in her office. It's always exciting to see a woman leading by example, who lifts as she climbs, who shares her knowledge with others. I also got choked up when I saw Deb sitting in the speaker's chair of the House as the first Indigenous woman to ever sit in that chair. Although it's 2019, Deb is a reminder of how far we have to go as women of color, but particularly how far our Native women have to go to still reach parity and equal representation in elected office. The first question that we want to ask you is, when did you catch the political bug? When was that moment when you knew, I have to get involved in politics because I can make a difference in the community here in New Mexico? I mean, when I really decided that I have to do this was 2002, uh, when the Democratic senator for South Dakota, they thought he had lost the election, the election night, and then it turned out when the votes from Indian country came in late, like at three in the morning or something, the following morning he had won the election. And it, it was very clear that the Native American vote uh, won that election for him. Like that sort of cemented, I was already doing some stuff, but that really cemented in me that we can make a difference if we if we really get out to vote. And so that's when I really started working in Indian country. And I started out as a phone volunteer. I started out as a phone volunteer, and now I'm a member of Congress. So I feel that like you can work hard and you can still get somewhere because you work hard. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be anything. You can work hard and accomplish things. 
And I love that you said that because I feel that you had one of the most powerful ads that I saw in the 2018 cycle called The Climb. I don't look like most people in Congress. My life is different too. I pushed through college and law school as a single mom, and I'm 30 years sober. But struggle made me fierce. My work is to fight for all of us. Clean energy jobs, Medicare for all, no more corporate money in politics. Trump won't hand us a thing if we ask politely. I'm Deb Holland, and I approve. I was actually speaking to the class of Martha McKenna, who did your ad, and I work for Emerge America. Martha is the board chair of Emerge Maryland. You are an alum of Emerge New Mexico, and she showed this video, and we were all, this is amazing. And I went into the office next week, the next day, and I told our comms director, have you seen Deb's new ad? And she said, no. So we Googled it. And she said, this is fabulous. I said, yes. And she goes, we have to incorporate this into the training that we're doing in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. We were doing a boot camp in Michigan. And during the communications training, we showed that ad. And the women said, wait, she did emerge. She started where I started. She was sitting in this chair. Mm -hmm. And we said, yes. And then they said, show it again, show it again. And in that video, you talk about struggle, the fact that you can overcome and you can mm -hmm. run for Congress and be this amazing, powerful trailblazer that you are. Right, right. Well, and just to like highlight part of the ad where I say that I'm 30 years sober, I wanted to accomplish a lot just with that one, you know, two second statement. I know that we have an addiction problem in our state and in this country. I understand it and I want to do something about it. And I feel that people who have suffered from addiction deserve second chances because that's really who we are as Democrats. That's part of our values is giving people an opportunity to overcome struggle so that they can be productive members of society. That was Martha's idea and we embraced it because I felt like a lot of people would be able to identify with me on that issue. And just with women like you, some of the other new Democratic women in Congress, you all have been so authentic about who you are, your journey, and that's something that is resonating with women who want to run for political office, but also young girls who are seeing you, that you can walk in your truth and it won't stop you. I know you inspire me at my age, so I can only imagine how it is for young girls watching you, but also being women of color in politics, mm -hmm. one of the things that we have to deal with is not being enough. Sometimes you hear you're not black enough. Sometimes you're not Latina enough. And in your general election, you actually had your opponent questioning, were you indigenous enough? Right. My, my heredity. Yes. It's, you know, my dad was in the military and so we traveled around. I didn't grow up in my Pueblo community, even though I spent a lot of time there. I didn't grow up there. And so, yes, my opponent did try to say that. Um, I mean, she was trying to discredit me, I guess, for being Native American, but that's a little hard to hit me on, I think. Yes. <laughs> she tried I and mean, failed. I mean, it's sort of your own identity is everything, right? We all identify the way that we 
uh, feel comfortable. And I could identify as a Norwegian American because my dad was Norwegian American, but the my the culture that my grandparents taught me and that my mother raised me on is definitely Pueblo Indian. And so it just is, I mean, we, sh- we should all embrace who we are, right? It's no one else's call. Yeah. You identify yourself the way you want to, and nobody can say anything about it. I mean, they can try, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And identity is something that's very personal. Mm-hmm. And particularly for women of color, mm-hmm. it really shapes our life. I tell people I identify as a black woman because every day in this country, I'm reminded that I'm a black woman. And I really appreciate you saying that. Here at the BGG, we know that small dollar donors can have a big impact on elections. In 2018, they gave more than $1.6 billion to campaigns or organizations through ActBlue's platform. That's because ActBlue makes online giving easy and secure. ActBlue's simple and powerful digital fundraising tools empower donors and enable campaigns and organizations big and small to flourish. Candidates and organizations using ActBlue know that they're using the best. As a nonprofit and a tech organization, ActBlue does rigorous A-B testing and its tools are optimized for mobile. Plus, ActBlue is always working to improve its offerings. That's why ActBlue is the online fundraising platform of choice for thousands of Democratic campaigns and progressive organizations. Special thanks to ActBlue for their support of this first season of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. ActBlue is responsible for the content of this advertising. So we talked about how your opponent tried and failed to question you because we're sitting here talking to you as one of the first Indigenous women to serve in Congress, Mm -hmm. and you're on the cover of Newsweek. Can you describe for us what was that moment like when you saw that cover? So we've been featured in a lot of media since we started our campaign and since I won. And I mean, the thing is, I appreciate that. I appreciate that people want to know about me and about my campaign and like even Sharice as well. But what I guess what what touches me more is when I am walking through the U.S. Capitol and there's a young Native girl with her mom in Statuary Hall and runs up to me and taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and she, her and her mom are crying uh, and they embrace me. Like that means the world to me that never having seen yourself in a body like this. And then all of a sudden there's two of us there. uh, It's very powerful. And I think it gives um, young native girls and their mothers a lot of hope. So many Indian tribes in this country women were leaders and uh, and some women have retained leadership roles in their tribes in spite of colonization, while others because of colonization have uh, been excluded from tribal governmental systems because the colonizers decided we don't want women here. And so what, where we feel we otherwise would have had a place in our um, political, our governmental systems, we haven't had for, you know, 400 years. So I feel like by our winning this election, Sharice and I, that perhaps we're righting some of those wrongs, right? It took us a long time to do it, but 
we're saying that we can lead, uh, we are leaders. And even though we can't lead in our own communities, we can be leaders in the larger community and, and you know, speak for a lot of people who've never had a voice. I think that's so important because you alluded to earlier about the power of the Native American voters in South Dakota. We've also seen that in New Mexico, Alaska, and it's great to have our Native American brothers and sisters as voters, but we need for them to have that seat at the table, too, because we know that if we do want to have a reflective democracy, we need to have people from all walks of life. So what advice would you give to Native American individuals who are thinking, all right, how do I do what Dev did? Where do I start? For me, uh, being an organizer for almost 20 years, when it was time for me, I ran for lieutenant governor in 2014. So I built up a lot of uh, networking when I ran for lieutenant governor. Then I was uh, the state chair of the party in 2015, and I got even more folks to, you know, I networked with even more folks as I traveled around the state. In between those things and prior, all of my organizing, working for all of the candidates that I worked for, sometimes volunteering full time, sometimes getting paid. And my work in Indian country took me around the entire state of New Mexico as well. You know, I put like 200,000 miles on my car and, you know, X number of years just driving around New Mexico because that's what it required. You just need to get involved. And it's, it's, is it working for candidates? Maybe. Is it working for causes? Maybe. Start getting involved and volunteering, building up your network. Uh, because by the time I ran for Congress, I had, toward the end of my primary election, I had 200 volunteers in my office every single day. Uh, walking, knocking, putting up signs, registering voters. Do, I mean, whatever it took, I just had that network. So I think you just need to get involved and start building up your network. That is great advice. You can't make it if you never get involved and start. Yes, and if people, I mean, if you were to go to New Mexico right now and ask anyone, what do you think of Deb? Nine people out of 10 might say she works really hard. Like for anyone to have that reputation that you work hard, it's not, you know, to me that means everything in politics, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I am only here because I worked hard and because I had wonderful volunteers who helped me to win because nobody wins an election on their own. It's a community effort. And so I just made sure that I got all of those communities to help me. And that community has great representation with you. And I want to pivot to some questions about your time in Congress. Mm -hmm. So how was your first State of the Union experience, Mm -hmm. knowing that you are part of this historic class of women? We have Speaker Pelosi again. It was just something that's going to go down in history books. Yes, it was wonderful. Um, You know, some of some of our veteran, if you want to say veteran, uh, Congresswomen, you know, women who have been here for a little while, you know, they encouraged us to all wear white and everybody. I mean, I just thought that was a great idea because it was pretty, it was pretty 
spectacular seeing that big sea of white on the floor in contrast to the dark suits and red ties on the other side. So, um, <laughs> so I think it, when we realize what we've accomplished with this election, having the largest class of women in the history of our country, uh, it's pretty amazing. And my, I love my colleagues. They're awesome. They're going to fight. And if you, if you don't have an idea of how strong they are, just turn, you know, go to C-SPAN and, and click on any hearing that's happened recently, and you'll see these women in action. And so I feel like all of their constituents should feel very fortunate and very uh, confident that they're going to fight for them. And that's really what it's all about. People, Americans want somebody to stand up for them. We don't want discrimination. We need people to stand up against discrimination, against climate change, for renewable energy. We want people to have health care. And so people just want someone to stand up for those things and not be afraid of what any consequences are because it's the right thing to do. And I feel like that's what a lot of women, my colleagues, are doing right now, and it's very inspiring. You all definitely walk it like you talk it, and you even did that when it came to your staff. We're recording this podcast right now, and I love the fact that you have the young women from your team in this room. Mm -hmm. They are diverse. Your staff reflects what you believe. So can you tell us why it was so important to make sure that your staff looks like the community in New Mexico? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I worked hard to win my election to be one of the first Native American women in Congress. And it all just made sense that we should uh, reflect that with the staff we have. So uh, very, very proud of my staff. I think we're like 60% women. 70. 70% okay. women. Thank you. <laughs> African-American, Hispanic, LGBTQ community. We have a veteran in our district office. It's a, it's a wonderful array of people whose backgrounds and perspectives, you know, add to the conversation. And that's really what I wanted to make sure of, that we were, that people had a voice. You've already had so many just outstanding moments mm -hmm. fighting not only for the people of New Mexico, mm -hmm. but across the United States. Mm -hmm. And one of the moments that stands out to me the most is discussing the ban on transgender troops. Mm -hmm. And you had this moment where you got really emotional. I, I just first wanted to say to all of you that I'm so grateful for your service to our country. My dad was a 30-year career Marine, and my mom was a Navy veteran. It's not everybody who will make a decision to say, I would die for my country, because a lot of people wouldn't. And I believe if there's one person that isn't fit to serve, we all know who that is right now because that person devalues things that people want to do to make our country better and to move it forward. And although I can't apologize for that person, I can tell you that I will do everything in my power to make sure that we can bring back some civility and respect to the people who are serving our country. 
So I just wanted you to know that. Yes, well, of course, discrimination in all its forms is wrong. It's awful. It's what, I mean, so many of our communities have suffered, right? I mean, you look at any brown person in my office and you can ask them, what's the history of your community? And uh, they will have suffered some type of discrimination, genocide in some cases, right? Like the time to uh, stand up is now. There are trans women who have been murdered. If you talk to some trans women, they experience brutality and just the most horrible violence in our country. Native trans women uh, experience that probably more than, than a lot of folks, at least from the conversations I've had. And then we have our country who embraces uh, respect and gratitude for our veterans. And why is it different for trans troops? Like, why are we not grateful for their service? We, instead, the president promotes a policy that wants to kick them out of the service when uh, what we should be doing is saying, thank you for serving our country. It makes me really angry to uh, feel like we're having this argument right now. I mean, look, I said this yesterday, is that not everybody will choose to die for their country. In fact, our own president lied about why he couldn't join the military service. And so he didn't. And you have people who any day of the week would say, yes, I would die for my country and have deployed overseas and have um, I mean, they've really sacrificed a tremendous amount to serve our country. And the first words out of our, anyone's mouth should be thank you instead of you're not good enough or we don't want to spend money on you or, you know, you can't join unless it just doesn't make sense to me. So I just felt I needed to get that out of my system. <laughs> We appreciate that you did. Okay, our final question. What advice do you have for the brown girls that are listening that say, I want to be just like her? Brown girls, get involved. To start volunteering for a campaign or an issue or a cause of some kind. Get involved, register voters, get voters to the polls, make sure that you have a voice in who you think the best candidates are to lead our communities. And it's not just Congress, it's not just the president, it's school board, it's city council, it's, it's county commissions, it's you know the, the water authority, it's what it, whoever makes decisions in your daily life, just start championing that and, and make sure that you're getting involved. Once you uh, build up your network, uh, who knows, you might wanna run for office yourself. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Congresswoman Deb Holland. From this episode, I hope that you get why it's important to support our Native sisters as they gain political power and how we are all in this together when it comes to the need to advance democracy in America. If you want to know more about her, you can absolutely follow her on social media and see the great work that she is doing. You can also learn more about other organizations such as Advancing Native American Leadership 
They were fighting every day to ensure that indigenous and native people are engaged in the political process. You can keep track of what we're doing on our social media handles. We are at The BG Guide on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find out more about what Wonder Media Network is up to on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMNmedia. Next week, I'll be talking with Kaya Morris, the former state representative from Vermont.